Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, we bring a guest to talk about their experiences navigating creative and innovative areas of the legal profession. Also, listeners, law school application season is upon us. So hopefully this episode will bring you some clarity about your own process and choosing the right law school for you. We are extremely excited to be introducing you to our guest this week, Nick Cucker. He is a Nauticling student at the Public Prosecution Service of Canada and a published author in the field of criminal law. He is a recent graduate of the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. He also holds bachelor's and master's degrees in criminology and sociolegal studies from the University of Toronto. He's an active mentor, mood coach, and commentator on emerging legal issues. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. No, thank you so much, Sarah and Meg. It's an absolute pleasure to uh, be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Nick, I want to um, start by asking the first question. Let's talk a little bit about your undergrad and master's experience. So you have work in um, criminology, and I'd love to hear about what that was like. And also, as someone who did graduate work myself and considered going into academia, I would love to know whether or not you considered going into uh, pure or traditional academia. Uh, so I, thank you so much, Maggie. Yeah, I've had um, I've had a complex relationship, I guess, with the academic and the practical sides of uh, of criminal law and law more generally. Um, I I never really intended to go full scale into academia. I always knew I wanted to get into legal practice, um, but essentially it all began when I so I actually started off majoring in political science in my undergrad, um, and then eventually I ended up switching majors to criminal uh, sorry criminology. Uh, and the reason for that was because criminology was a little bit more law adjacent. It had more to do with how the law impacts uh, people's lives rather than how the law of institutions works. Uh, so I was I really enjoyed that because it really adds somewhat of a practical grounding to the application of law. It's not just about how institutions deal with each other. It's also how people deal with each other and how the law impacts day to day society. Um, so. I continued through that program. I really enjoyed it in undergrad. And then at the end of my, towards the, I guess the middle of my fourth year, I was actually applying for, I was thinking about applying to law school, uh, but I'd written the LSAT twice. My scores in the LSAT have never been ideal. Uh, so I kind of had a conversation with myself over the winter break and I was thinking of doing a gap year. Uh, so initially my plan was just to work uh, during that gap year, you know, get some more work experience. But I kind of realized that I really liked the faculty in uh, criminology and sociolegal studies. I was close with a lot of the professors. Um, and I also wanted to do a program that was law adjacent um, in a way that I, you know, I could transition, get more academic maturity before I started law school. Uh, so criminology was really one of the one of the few programs that served that goal. And the nice thing about criminology at U of T and a lot of graduate uh, departments at U of T uh, is that it's very interdisciplinary, which means I was able to take courses at U of T Law as a grad student uh, in satisfaction of my degree. So it gave me uh, sort of a taste of what law school is like. I was able to interact with a lot of law students. There were a lot of actually law students in the combined uh, master's JD program at U of T Law with criminology. Uh, so it was just a great, first of all, great networking experience, but also just a good taste of kind of how things worked uh, in the field of law. And um, I'm sure we'll be able to get into this uh, a bit more later, but ironically, I never wanted to go into criminal law at first when I was in my uh, major or in my master's. Uh, but altogether, it was kind of just a nice uh, way of getting immersed in more in-depth research, uh, more academic maturity, uh, making more connections. And uh, that was really the main selling point for me in grad school. 
I like what you said about academic maturity because one thing that Sarah and I bonded over when we first met, you know, we always consider, we always joke that we're mature students in the law school. That is not true. We recently learned that we do not actually um, meet that requirement. However, both of us had a couple years between undergrad and law school. So Sarah worked and then I was um, doing some graduate school myself. And both of us are, were really happy we did that because you know I can, I can certainly say for myself, I would absolutely have hated going straight from undergrad to law school. I don't think I would have been confident enough. I don't think that I would have been able to like keep up with the material. I also just think I have a better understanding of who I am as well as the things I want outside of working, outside of a career. Um, so I, I like what you say about that academic maturity because even if it's a couple of years, you know, you'd be surprised at how much that matters. You know, I always say this, that the, the scenic route's always better than the linear route. It's always better because you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about the experiences. Uh, and, you know, in my grad, had I not gone to grad school, I wouldn't have developed the research that I did. I mean, I ultimately wrote my, wrote my grad uh, capstone paper, uh, which ended up turning into my first publication. It was about the jury, the criminal jury in Canada and kind of the ways to reform uh, the jury. Uh, at least feasibly. And, uh, you know, it was that was one of the, the highlights of my graduate student career. Um, and that just gave me so much more confidence, both in, in terms of just legal research, obviously, a lot of that's transferable, but also speaking about arguments, defending my arguments to a variety of people from different walks of life. Obviously, these are skills that you want to take forward in law school and more broadly in litigation. So uh, there was there was definitely a lot about it. And, uh, you know, especially when life doesn't work the way that you plan it, it's sometimes even better. And often it's even better. Exactly. And do you think that maybe allowed you also to stand out when it comes to the interview process? That's something that I've been discussing actually with some other law students and even some other mature students with how important extracurriculars are. And we had someone that was talking to us who has a lot of other responsibilities outside of law school. Um, so for example, they need to take care of their children and they need to arrange for them to be um, watched when they're in law school. And so don't have the time to commit to any of those kind of external or extracurriculars or the volunteer type work. And um, what we were discussing actually is being able to have that gap or being able to do kind of further academic studies or anything like that gives you soft skills that you wouldn't necessarily get from extracurriculars. And oftentimes that's, or at least from my understanding, what law firms are looking for, because that's actually something that is going to be directly applicable to any line of work that you do. Um, so is, is that something that you felt at least when you had interviews like, let's say, the on-campus interviews or whichever interviews you participated in? Uh, so it's funny because in my <laughs> I, I applied pretty broadly. I applied between, uh, you know, corporate law uh, firms and uh, uh, and criminal law, because as I will tell you later, I was really torn for a while whether to go into big law or to go into criminal um, and I remember a couple of uh, a couple of firms, not all of them, but a couple of them would just look at my resume, look at the master's degree in criminology, and be like, "Are you lost? Like, where are you? Why are, why are you doing this if you're uh, if you've done if you've done a master's in criminology?" And it's a fair it's a fair point because it's a pretty it's a pretty niche master's to be doing, right? You you have a, a directed interest in the field of criminal law more broadly, uh, so it's a very fair question to ask. Um, but with that being said, yes, it absolutely, especially taking the courses. 
alongside the law school during my master's year uh, and also doing some of the research. I mean, whether it's the jury or another focus of mine was in sentencing, uh, proportionality in sentencing. Uh, I've written a paper about the role of remorse uh, as a mitigating factor in sentencing. And I felt like a lot of that just gave me a lot of confidence in criminal law generally. Um, actually, part of the reason why I ended up switching uh, fields was because in my first year of law school, uh, criminal law was one of those courses that I found, you know, I could figure it out, even if it was a difficult, uh, a difficult question, even if it was a, even if it was something that I didn't immediately understand, I had the confidence that I could figure it out. Um, and then even now at work uh, as an articling student, even as a summer student at the PPSE last year, I found that it was just, uh, it was really helpful. Uh, it just gives me the confidence in my ability to research criminal law issues, uh, know the theory behind criminal law issues. Obviously, theory is very different from practice, and you learn that every single day as an articling student. But altogether, uh, it did give me a lot of confidence uh, for that field of law, but also research skills uh, more generally as well. I'm shocked at them asking you whether or not you are lost, mainly because I think all experience is good experience. Also, I have some graduate degrees in English, so I can't wait what they're gonna <laughs> can't wait to hear what they're gonna say to me because that's I would argue that's even more uh, tangential. I mean, hey, good research, good legal research and writing skills. So. Honestly, right? Honestly, um, <laughs> Nick, I I actually want to bring us back a little bit um, before we talk more about your wonderful publications and um, your time articling. Can you take us? through your application to law school because if i'm not mistaken and you can correct me if you're uh, if i'm wrong you did some time at the university of windsor uh faculty of law is that correct and then yeah. and then you switched mm -hmm, institutions right. Right. can you tell us about the um your whole application so from when you were writing the lsats to your time at windsor and then to your time at U of T? yeah so um with uh you know First, want to say that you know I had an amazing time at Windsor. It was an amazing experience, and I really wouldn't trade that one year for the world. It was I met some amazing people. I met amazing faculty, and actually I lived in the city of Windsor during that time. Uh, and it was it's actually a really nice city. I mean, people rip on the city a lot. It's it's a really beautiful city to be living in. Uh, you won't really find many places where you can live on the riverside, have a view of the river, and you're paying a thousand dollars rent. So. Uh, it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, I had a great experience. But with that being said, yeah, my general journey to law school, uh, like I said, my LSATs were never that successful. My uh, my highest score was way too low for a lot of schools, but especially for a school like U of T. Uh, but that being said, U of T was always my my the place where I really wanted to go. And a large part of that was because I knew the infrastructure inside out. I was uh, an undergrad student at U of T. I majored in criminology and ethics, society and law. Uh, both pre-law majors. Uh, then I did my master's in crim. I was uh, getting familiarized with the law school for as a master's student. And, you know, I just had this uh, this idea of how things worked at the school. I had a familiarity with the research that was happening at U of T. Um, and the thing about U of T law is that they have these, uh, they call them law workshops. So it's open to the public. Anybody can come to these law workshops and they discuss a variety of different topics. You have profs from all over the world who come in and they will talk about constitutional law or law and economics or law and innovation. And, you know, half the time, I don't really know what's going on. It's so complex. It's so hard to understand. But just being in that environment um, really gave me a sense that U of T law is amazing for legal research um, and, acad and academia more broadly. So. I always had that in my mind when I was applying to law school. 
so I ended up doing my first year at Windsor. I um, I was really happy to, to, to accept that offer. Uh, and it was a nice city to live in. Like I said, it was a really nice change of pace, especially coming out of two degrees at U of T. It was nice to be in a different environment, uh, sort of with different values. Uh, U of T is a lot, uh, sorry, Windsor is a lot more social justice leaning. So uh, they focus a lot on how the law impacts people directly, which was exactly why I like criminology and social legal studies in the first place. Uh, and so I enjoyed my first year a lot. I got involved in legal clinics, uh, but when I started law school, I actually made a promise to myself. Uh, in undergrad, I really just focused a lot on the school aspect of, of the overall experience. I focused a lot on the grades. I focused a lot on the classes. Um, but I kind of realized that when you're in law school, it's a professional school and the word professional comes before the word school. Uh, so I really made it a priority to get involved in, you know, clinical opportunities like working at, my, at Windsor's Community Legal Aid Clinic, uh, which is, I guess, uh, the equivalent of U of T's DLS. Uh, and then also uh, getting involved in research conferences. I was able to present at Windsor's uh, Canadian Law Student Conference, which or is organized every year. Uh, I was able to judge a few moots and start coaching moots as well uh, and doing a couple of moots myself as well. So overall, I started getting more immersed in the professional development aspect of, um, of Windsor uh, and law school more generally. Uh, now, when I, I decided to transfer, I kind of had an idea that I was I was hoping to transfer uh, at the beginning as well. Uh, but I really that idea really became concrete towards the end of my uh, my first year in uh, in Windsor. My grades were good, so I thought I was in a good position to apply. Um, and at that point, I was really able to to reflect on why exactly I wanted to transfer. And it was a lot harder of a decision to make. Uh, at the end of my first year compared to the beginning of my first year because at the beginning obviously you don't know any of the other students we're all online as well so uh it was you know it's difficult to kind of make all the connections and i still did some of my best friends are uh, are from windsor um but you know i kind of realized that i wanted to be closer to my support system uh my where my family is my family's in the gta as well um all my close friends people have known since i mean since ever but you know, the people I've become particularly close with throughout undergrad and my master's all in Toronto. So that became a very important uh, selling factor for me, in addition to UFT Law's, uh, you know, research opportunities um, and things like that. And it was also, I kind of realized that there were certain opportunities I wanted to take forward in my research. Um, uh, for example, the the paper I've been working on with um, uh, that I managed to publish about the jury. Uh, that was something I wanted to continue under the supervision of uh, Professor Kent Roach, who's at U of T. Uh, and I remember uh, kind of figuring out that, you know, it would be difficult to do that research with him if I wasn't a student at U of T. So there are many ways of getting involved in student research at U of T, um, whether it's a directed research paper or a supervised upper year research paper. Um, and I found that getting to U of T would be the best way of, of serving that goal. Um, and finally, being able to work with this prof who have always wanted to work with, but also getting involved in the, the overall research culture of the school. Um, I was at a point toying with the idea of doing a direct entry doctorate. Um, UFD has a, a direct entry SJD program. Um, and eventually, um, after my after my second year summer at the PPSC, I kind of decided I'd rather just remain in practice. Um, and I'm learning a lot from practice as well. But those were all kind of the contributing factors for for the transfer. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the um, factors that drew me to the University of Toronto and I did my undergrad uh, at the U of T as well is the kind of academic rigor, um, this idea that it really, you know, if I'm not mistaken, U of T law has, you know, three 
student-run journal, something like that, and um, tons of mentors who are able to supervise your publications and tons of these um, talks that folks from you know Harvard and Yale they come to talk and it's all open to the public. It's certainly open to uh, you know undergrads and master students and law students. Yeah, it really is. You know, and and you know we had someone uh, who is doing her three L at Osgood. And she was on our show, right. and she spoke about why she loved Osgood so much. And I would say that Osgood, similar to Windsor, is also very inclined on the social justice uh, side of things. And I think that's really excellent. But I think for people who are really interested in academic research, who are possibly interested in doing an SJD or some kind of um, LLM or any kind of master's, UFT is a really excellent program for that. I found, yeah, very much so. And I found that, you know, if you express an interest in academic research, now U of T, uh, it's no secret that the school, there are a lot of people who are interested in, in corporate law at U of T. And the scene for academic um, research is not really, I mean, it, it does exist in corporate law, for sure it exists. But uh, I haven't at least met too many people who are interested in, in academic research from corporate law uh, from that standpoint. But in criminal law, it's always developing. Uh, constitutional criminal law, it's always developing. So I found that, you know, when you express an interest in research to a professor or to a faculty member, to the dean, to the assistant dean, um, I was able to get very good relationships with them after transferring to U of T. And if you express an interest in academic research, they will move mountains for you. They will make sure that you are able to take that time and, you know, really get into the research that you want to get into. Uh, they will make sure that you're you know, your process is streamlined in terms of getting into the courses that you want to, um, especially if you convey an, an interest in research. Uh, so I found all of that just to be great for, you know, the development of, of subsequent research publications and things like that. Um, and I found that they really supported me with that. So yeah, extremely grateful for that. That environment really goes a long way. Yeah, that's really good. And actually, I'm not surprised now with just my little bit of experience having uh, started off. Uh, like I brought up some research interest to some faculty members and immediately they jumped on it and they wanted to help out. So I feel like it's a very supportive environment for that. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, and it's good that they're doing that from first year on as well. Um, I unfortunately, I obviously wasn't able to experience U of T in first year, but I'm sure that I'd imagine, I mean, at least from my experience at Windsor, when especially if you're a first year student who's conveying an interest in research, a lot of people don't come from academia. A lot of people don't do grad school before they come into law school. A lot of people don't have a social science background and are getting are getting immersed into law for like the first time. Uh, so especially when a professor sees that you as a first year um, are interested in research. Um, for me, it was the conference that I presented at in my first year at Windsor. Uh, that really goes a long way because a lot of people get very, um, you know, they, they're really willing to support you, especially if you're expressing the interest so early on, but also at any time during your during your time in law school. I mean, it's really never too late. Nick, our next question actually um, kind of picks a bone at what you've been saying, because I think there's a bit of an um, a bit of a contradiction here, because on one hand, you say that law school is a professional school. And I completely agree with that. Right. And, and it's really important to put that profession uh, that professional aspect first. And when I think of that, I think of networking, I think of doing clinics, I think of doing um, all sorts of extracurriculars. But then we've always been told that in 1L, it's really important to get really good grades too. And it's important to meet that that school aspect. And 
that being said, you know, my experience with academic writing, and, and I have a peer-reviewed article of my own, um, but in English, in literary studies, I found that process wow. to be so lonely. I found it to be so long, so lonely, so arduous. And honestly, in many ways, pure academia is the opposite of professional schooling, right? Because you're holed in a library or in an archive by yourself, you're doing all sorts of work, then you're working with these reviewers and editors for sometimes one or two or three years, right? Which is, which is so different from professional schooling. So what has your experience been like working on these peer-reviewed articles? And how have you been able to connect that with this professional aspect of law school? So that's a very interesting question, Meg. And, you know, the way I look at it is um, when, I, when I look at law school as a professional school, I mean, what is a profession? That's ultimately, your, you know, your calling, something that you want to take forward in your career. And that could be academia. It could be practice. It could be a number of things uh, because academia is also a career. There's, there's so many career opportunities in academia as well. Um, but more than that, there are a lot of transferable skills that come from academia that will help you in the long term uh, beyond just law school. And the way I always like to make my decisions in law school is, you know, by focusing on the things that will help me in the years beyond law school, not just uh, not just during law school, but in the years. Uh, and I mean, I don't know about decades at this point in time, but in the in the in the foreseeable future, at least. Um, things that can lead to transferable skills. So for instance, I was working uh, on helping a counsel with an appeal uh, while I was articling a few weeks ago, and it was about sentencing. And that forms a lot of the core of my research. So I found that a lot of my research, it really came through when I was when I was just searching for the right sources. Obviously, there was still a lot, a lot of learning I was doing. I mean, I learned a lot through the whole process, uh, but it did give me an idea of kind of the questions to ask or uh, the basic starting points to look at. Uh, so I found that, you know, even just from that perspective alone, getting involved in research, it does provide for a lot of transferable skills. Now, of course, grades are, uh, you know, law school in first year, the grades are ultimately the most important because those are the things that will help you a lot with the recruit, whether it's the 1L recruit or the 2L recruit uh, or even just down the road. Uh, but with that being said, you really don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Uh, you want to be able to focus on you know, things that will ultimately help you become a, a good lawyer and not just a good law student, because there are many ways of getting good grades at law school and doing every single reading, focusing on every single word is definitely not one of them. I feel like you're just going to burn yourself out through the whole process. Um, I really just found a lot of my case briefs. I I mean, honestly, I didn't really make many case briefs of my own. I got a lot of them from upper years uh, who had just graciously sent me them. And then I was also able to find a lot of outlines for cases online. Um, and I found that, you know, that just made me a lot more efficient uh, because my whole process with uh, with studying was, you know, if I understood something from lecture, that would be it. I would move on to the next topic. If I did not understand something, I would first of all look at the case summary that I could find, whether it's an upper year summary or an online summary. Uh, and then if I still could not understand it, then I would do the readings. Then I would actually start and immerse myself into it um, because at that point I need to form my own conclusions. But I would say try and be as efficient as possible during your first year of law school. And you need to make space for uh, getting involved in extracurriculars and professional development opportunities, uh, whether it's clinical work or research, uh, because that's something that's going to stay on your resume. That's something that is going to stay beyond just the grades. Uh, there are a lot of employers that don't just look at grades. And in fact, um, many employers will, they could even look at your grades. They could be amazing, but they want something more out of your profile as well. So, I feel like having a balanced approach and and focusing on 
uh, on these developmental opportunities that law school offers you. I mean, you're paying a ton of tuition for law school. So, you know, with the amount of tuition that you're paying, I mean, that factors into a lot of the resources that they offer you, whether it's career resources or research uh, scholarship. And I would say law school's biggest selling point is uh, the fact that you can take advantage of all those opportunities. I think so too. And and I my question I definitely wasn't trying to to back you into our corner or anything. I I was just wondering, you know, was it hard to um what's the saying to trade between hats? What's that saying? Where where you know, you're putting on the hat of someone who's more professionally forward and then you're putting on the hat of someone who needs to, you know, do tons of editing and nitpicking of, of, of a potential article. And then, you know, you're putting on another hat of having to attend lectures and reading a whole bunch of cases. I, I, I just felt like those were many different hats to juggle. Yeah, it's interesting because the academic and the professional hats, so I think it was one and the same for me because I, I found that, you know, if I want to develop in the field of criminal law as a profession, it always helps to have a couple of publications to your name. It always helps to be known for, you know, Nick did research about the jury and he's he's published two papers about the jury. So I feel like it's always it's always helpful to be known for some of the research because it gives you it gives people an insight that, you know, you're not just in it for uh, just the case by case issues. You're in it to understand what the field of law looks like in depth. And you're able to analyze what the trends look like. Um, and that is something that can really pull you to sort of a higher level of legal practice as well. Um, especially if you go into something like appeals where the conversation is very academic. Uh, it really helps to have an insight into how the trends of the law are, um, not just the black letter law, but also kind of how the law applies, how the law has been discussed by scholars as well as judges. Uh, so I felt like that was more or less one and the same. Um, and ultimately, you know, you got to remember that a lot of the ideas that started off in, you know, the Oaks test, for example, that was actually that started off um, as an academic idea. It started off as an idea in research. Uh, the confessions rule, the common law confessions rule, uh, which basically prevents false confessions. Uh, that started off as an idea in research as well. Uh, a lot of wrongful convictions research contributed to that idea. Uh, things that we know about, you know, the abolition of things like the twin myths in uh, in sexual assault cases that started off as a research idea that started off with increased knowledge about the elusive nature of such offenses and the idea that many people don't come forward so there is a lot of that tie between research and practice um, and i feel like these these things you don't want to look at them as mutually exclusive at all i think these are things that work together and they must work together um, because without either one of them uh, i feel like the picture of law is incomplete um, and in terms of the the academic side of things, the way I went about law school is I actually prioritized um, I actually prioritized the stuff that was outside the classroom a lot more, um, because ultimately, again, I wanted to focus on stuff that's gonna that's gonna help me and benefit me in the long term as well, um, not just in the short term. So generally, when it came down to talking to professors after class, um, obviously, if I had questions about you know the content that was taught in class, and I had many of them, uh, I would. I'd be more than happy to ask those questions, but also I would uh, I would tail end that by talking about the professor's own research and ask them how that research is going, how um, you know how their navigation of uh, whatever they're focusing on is going, uh, because for many of these professors, they you know they're teaching as a passion. This is something they're really interested in, but the core of their career is the research that they're doing, and so getting an insight into that it makes for good networking. It makes for good. Uh, an additional learning experience about the stuff that's just beyond the classroom. Uh, and so I found those things to be very helpful. Now with school, like I said, I was able to find 
sort of an efficient process for it. I mean, if I if I could find cases uh, like outlines online, if I could find outlines given by by upper year students to me, uh, and I could find the answer that way, I would just take that. Um, and then I would I would then go to in terms of more detail, I'd go into things like the lecture notes, I'd go into the slides. And if I absolutely needed to, I would look into the readings. Um, but I feel like having that sort of a priority list uh, really helped me create a more efficient process. Uh, I would I would select days, uh, designated days to focus on professional development. I think my Fridays were uh, professional development days, so I would either focus on research or uh, or you know work for an externship or a clinic that I was involved in. Uh, Thursdays and Fridays, I believe, were those days, and then Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, I would focus on school after class. Um, Saturdays and Sundays, I I took I took the weekends off. So. <laughs> We're going to ask you more about that later. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, I like that basically it seems like your law school experience kind of incorporates a lot of things that we've been trying to emphasize with our, our listeners, actually. Uh, so making sure that law is not their whole life and that they have, you know, things outside of law school. So, for example, you making sure that your weekends are free so that you can prioritize potentially some hobbies or seeing friends or whatever it was that you did um, was very important. And then also just that efficiency piece of working smarter, not harder is definitely, I feel, the way to go because law school can get overwhelming very quickly. But typically it's overwhelming if you're kind of imposing it on yourself in the sense that, oh, I'm not doing enough work. I'm never going to do enough work. I have to read it and reread it. And, and there's always better ways to go about things and it's important to know of course how you learn for some people looking at summaries won't be sufficient they'll have to do the readings um, but still there's ways that they can make it more efficient so I think that that's really good and, and listeners definitely listen to this advice um, if you're going to be starting law school or if you're in your 1L it's good to start implementing that now and then what I find I really interesting that. oh sorry go ahead no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just, uh, just want to add, like, uh, one, one of the things that really sticks with me is, you know, law schools. Yeah, like you said, it's exactly what you make of it, uh, and it's, you know, if you want it to be overwhelming, if you want it to be hard, it will be. But if you want it to be a process that you will learn from every day, I mean, think about it. For a lot of you who have been applying to law school, how long have you wanted to do this for? Like, if you, if you're on the brink of an exam and you think you're gonna fail, how long have you been waiting to feel like, oh my God, I'm gonna fail this exam in law school? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's really just, you know, if you enjoy the moment, I feel like it will do wonders for you. But also you, I would say comparisons are inevitable. It's, it's always easy to compare yourselves with people. So I'm not going to sit and tell you not to do that, but I will say, compare yourselves to others to be inspired by them, not to be threatened by them. Uh, because law school is actually a very collaborative environment. And ultimately the experience is what you make of it. So obviously I wasn't, I, I wasn't studying as hard enough as a lot of my peers were, but I was also focused on research. I was focused on my own set of priorities. Um, and that's something that really kept me going because I just knew what I wanted to do. And I feel like if the moment you know kind of what you want to do, how you want to experience law school for yourself, you will get to where you want to be. You will get the job that you want, down, whether it's down the road or immediately. And again, the scenic route is always better. Uh, but as long as you compare yourself to who you were yesterday and really follow your own process, your own goals, it's not just being cheesy. It is the most important thing you can do for your career because you will do better at it because of that. And speaking of your other interests, speaking of what you did on Friday, you also mooted, I think, quite a bit. And you also coached 
quite a bit of mooting, didn't you, right? You had quite a bit of experience in all sorts of different tournaments, as well as uh, in laws, which listeners, if you haven't heard of that, LAWS, that's the Law in Action Within Schools program, which is this really excellent um, program that has uh, law students helping um, high schoolers in the greater Toronto area, working on like mock trial and debate and mooting and all sorts of things like that. So Nick, our next question is, you know, what was it like to be teaching and mentoring oral advocacy uh, to young people? And did these experiences help you throughout law school as well as your current uh, work in articling? Honestly, mentoring is the single most rewarding aspect of my life. It's something that I really, really take great pleasure in. It's, there's nothing that makes me happier. Uh, And you know, in terms of in terms of mooting, uh, it was it was an amazing privilege to be able to coach uh, the York University varsity uh, undergrad team last year, uh, and uh, you know they just did an incredible job. I so for context, I didn't moot competitively throughout law school, uh, unfortunately, with all the research and uh, you know some of the some of the other things I was doing, it it just took up a lot of my time, and I wasn't able to to fit in that time for getting involved in a competitive moot because it was a it's a lot of commitment that you have to be doing. Uh, you're at practice every single week. Uh, it's it's generally a lot of commitment. So I was not able to get into competitive moots in law school, but I did in undergrad. I was mooting almost every year, if not every year. I can't remember if I did it in fourth year or not. Uh, but I was mooting almost every year throughout undergrad. I was at the uh, the Capital Cup competition, the Oscar Cup. Uh, UFT had uh, had a relatively new um, at the time a new uh, mooting competition that they were hosting, and then I think I went to McGill a couple of times as well. So overall, that was a really cool experience to get involved in mooting. And then once I was, you know, down the road in law school, after I learned a little bit more from working at the Federal Crown last year, uh, I was able to kind of synthesize the the undergrad mooting experience that I had, but with also a knowledge of law, especially criminal law, uh, that would that I could really impart to um, the people I was working with. Uh, and yeah, just an absolutely incredible team. I mean, it's it's really a reminder that it's never too early to start something. I mean, some of these students were first, second year students and some of the best mooters that I know, some of the best advocates that I know. Um, and I believe one of them had even won uh, one in the top uh, in the top team on a couple of occasions. So, uh, you know, it's really like mentoring is always a reminder uh, when you see how amazing people do and how many contributions they have to make no matter how early they on uh, how early on they are uh, it's never too early to start something and it's never too early to excel at it you know i actually did mock i didn't moot at all in my undergrad cuz i was so burnt out from it but i did mock trial all four years of high school and oh, yeah. uh, we had a lawyer coach um, who had to have been working you know, had to have been volunteering all of his time, but he helped us out on morning practices, evening practices. You know, we competed in Ontario, we competed internationally. And honestly, that guy, like, without a doubt, you know, my family, like, none of my family, I don't come from a family of lawyers. Like, I, I didn't really know that that was like a potential career to go into. And that guy, single-handedly, I think convinced everyone on my mock trial team to at least apply for law school. And I think it's 10 for 10, if I'm not mistaken. Every single person that he coached is either finishing up law in law school, finishing up law school, or is a lawyer now. <laughs> like, it's an insane wow. rate. And I, you know... That is an 
impact. It's so impactful. And, you know, I need to reach out to him again because without a doubt, he shaped the course of my life. Like, there's no doubt about it. So I have a lot of admiration for people who um, donate quite a bit of their time in oral advocacy and, and helping young people because I really do think that you can learn so much um, as a teacher, but then especially as a student, you learn so much from these kinds of people. No, absolutely. And actually, you bring up laws and, uh, you know, it kind of relates to this point because uh, law giving back to laws, um, it was a really meaningful experience for me because of kind of the way that I started uh, my interest in law to begin with. So actually, 10 years ago, around this time, uh, I was uh, that's when I first developed the idea that law might be something I wanted to pursue in my career. Um, because 10 years ago, I was part of this program uh, hosted by U of T Law. Uh, it's called the Youth Summer Program. And it caters to high school students. Um, and they, they have uh, a medical school division as well, but they also have a law school division. And, you know, they teach you about different things. Every week has its own module. Uh, at least when I was there, we were to live on residence as well. It was my first time ever living on residence, uh, first time ever living alone. Uh, and, you know, we had a week of civil litigation, we had a week of constitutional law, a week of international, a week of media and entertainment law, corporate law. Uh, we go to we go to law firms as high school students, we go to courts, we did our mock trial in the federal court. Uh, I will never forget that experience. Um, and so, you know, that experience really inspired me to pursue law, just being around such dynamic and motivated students. I can't say the same about my level of motivation that the ripe age of grade 10 but i mean uh that really changed my life it just made me a new person uh and so the parent organization for ysp uh ysp the, the tuition that goes into ysp uh funds the laws program uh it is uh it, it basically funds the laws program and uh, laws as many of you know is a nonprofit um dedicated to high school students in particular um uh, to get them interested in a legal career. Uh, it goes around all different schools and they uh, they really just inspire a lot of people to pursue law or at least consider it, give them an insight into the next steps. So my capacity uh, in laws, uh, it wasn't as much of an instructor or facilitator. I think I facilitated and instructed a couple of things, um, I think towards the end of my third year. Uh, but the a lot of my role was focused on outreach. Um, a lot of my role was actually sharing this exact story that I've been sharing with you about, you know, how this program inspired me and how this really just changed uh, my whole perspective uh, and getting more high school students interested in it. So a lot of my a lot of my work was sitting at uh, admissions days, uh, you know, for the at tabling, and uh, you know, talking to parents, talking to students, um, and it was actually really cool because I would meet some grade twelve students, grade eleven students. They're asking me if I've heard, uh, if I've read this particular appeal decision. And I'm like, I didn't even know what an appeal was when I was that age. So I was really just impressed. And again, yeah, it's never too early to excel. Um, it was it was really cool to be able to give back uh, with, um, uh, you know, with that whole group. And actually, the uh, the 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 person who was who was heading laws back then when I was when I was a student at the YSP program uh, is now the one of the assistant deans at U of T Law. So uh, I owe a tremendous amount of gratitude to uh, Eleanor Dimitrova. Uh, she's just fantastic and really the reason why I'm speaking for you right now, the reason why I went to law school and the reason why I'm in the career that I'm in. So um, it was an amazing opportunity to be able to get back to that program. I love that. I love that. And a lot of the times, well, in, what inspires us to go into law school or to do different things 
in life is it sometimes it's you know these minor experiences that you didn't think would be so impactful later on or or these people like for you with your mock trial coach right that although they were potentially a significant part of of your life at the time you don't realize until later on how much of an impact they had and and how inspiring they were and I, I i just think that's amazing honestly absolutely and, and so nick um you're also a, i would say very much of a self-starter you got involved in, in a lot of projects throughout law school but you also started some on your own and, and specifically i wanted to uh, talk about the uft faculty of law students research symposium that you founded so I wanted to hear a bit more about it and what it was like to start a program like that because it does take a lot of time of energy of planning and you had to juggle a heavy workload and probably some job applications and everything at the same time and your own research so just tell us a bit about that and maybe how the idea came to you and how you actually made it happen. Sure, absolutely, and it's uh, it really means a lot. You're calling me a self-starter. This was actually the first time I've ever done something like this, like started off something uh, from the ground up. So it was a lot of new things for me. It was an amazing new experience. Uh, really, never done anything like it. So it was um, it was incredibly stressful, but it was also inc incredibly rewarding uh, towards the end. So the whole idea of the symposium, um, it started off uh, when I was in first year of law school at Windsor. Uh, because like I said, at Windsor, they have an annual conference for students. It's called the Canadian Law Student Conference. I believe they're, they're, they will be in their 16th year or their 17th year um, around that by, uh, I think, in the next year coming. So the idea is that students present at topic-specific panels. They present their own research. And um, there is a faculty member who moderates each panel. And they ask questions to the researchers, uh, thought-provoking questions about their arguments, about their ideas. Um, and then there's a there's a period for questions for the audience as well. Uh, you get, you know, it's a great opportunity of learning from the audience. You know, being humble about your research and really um, taking into account all the feedback, looking at your argument from new perspectives. Because obviously, you need other people to be able to challenge you. You can't do it all yourself because you're the one who's writing the paper in the first place. So, uh, you know, it's um, it's it's a great way of just learning from other people. And of course, learning from other people's research as well, other presenters. Um, I remember in my first year of law school, I was I was the only, one of the only first year law students in there, I think one of the two. And I was surrounded by three else in my panel and they all sounded like they knew so much. I did not know what I was doing. Um, and I, but I learned a lot from them uh, and it was just really great all around. Um, so Ultimately, once I transferred to U of T Law, keeping in mind I transferred because you know one of the reasons was the law workshops at U of T, and I was looking for something that's equivalent to that um, for students. And uh, when I, when I thought about this, I I really wanted to organize something like that at the law school before I left, especially as a way of giving back to the school that's you know accepted me, me after my first year, really just done so much for me in terms of research. It was just my way of giving back in my final year. Um, so that was kind of the whole idea behind behind the symposium. Okay, so when I when I pitched the idea, I was, uh, you know, I went to the dean first. Uh, she has monthly office hours. Uh, so I was able to just, I think I sent an email at first and, uh, you know, I had a nice chat with her about, uh, you know, what I experienced at Windsor with, uh, with that conference, uh, how I'd like to apply that to UFT and the value I see in it. Um, 
the value of getting students immersed in academic research when U of T is such an academically focused uh, focused law school. It's one of the most powerful things that I found about the law school. Um, and we chatted a little bit about the logistical, um, you know, logistical opportunities, but also the barriers. Uh, and she referred me to uh, the assistant dean, as well as the coordinator of the, uh, the academic coordinator of student programs. Uh, so through those uh, through those conversations, I was able to get a better idea in terms of all the steps that were necessary. Um, I was able to reach out to the PR team of UFT uh, and, you know, eventually just kind of figure out a tentative plan of how I wanted to, wanted to organize this event when I have an idea of organizing this event, uh, the things that I would need. So, for example, sponsors. And uh, at that time, I wanted to make the conference in person. Uh, so how expensive was it would it be to have a dinner? Um, at this point, I was planning on just targeting the three law schools in uh, in Toronto, uh, U of T, Oscar, and Lincoln Alexander. Um, and then down the road, I realized that I could not take this work on entirely by myself. So I got a co-organizer, uh, and we ended up recruiting an editor-in-chief uh, who then recruited a team of editors. And these this team of editors would uh, look through all the submissions that get uh, submitted to us. Uh, we had our call for submissions, I believe, in January. Uh, or February, and you know, the editors would look at all these submissions, uh, vet them for, uh, I believe it was uh, comprehensiveness, uh, accuracy, uh, depth of legal research, and originality, uh, and decide whether it's admissible for the conference or not. So around this time, I kind of figured out that you know it was a bit too expensive to run this conference as a first time. So when you're running an event for the first time, you need to think about things like uh, like sponsorships, uh, the logistics of it all. Uh, booking a booking a venue, for example, if you're booking Hard House, when are you able to book it? What other events are happening around that time? Uh, what 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 other events are happening that are organized by the law school? You don't want to have many conflicts. So, at this point, I realized that it's a bit too expensive to run this thing in person. Uh, so I decided to migrate it online, and it was a little bit uh, a little bit uh, disappointing at the beginning because, uh, you know, we were just moved out of COVID. We're just moving back to in-person settings. Everybody was really excited about that. I was really excited about that. Um, but I kind of try to turn it into an opportunity to expand the conference to across Canada. So at that point, we didn't just have students from the three law schools in Toronto. We had students from McGill. We had students from, uh, from University of Alberta. We had students from Ottawa. We had students from all over. And uh, I think that added a lot more of the, I guess, the popularity of the conference at large. Uh, we were able to reach out to uh, law schools uh, all around the country. We uh, we emailed all the assistant deans, all the student law societies in every school. Uh, and altogether, that just, it ultimately manifested into a really nice event. Uh, the students brought in amazing research. Uh, and uh, we were also able, to, really grateful to get uh, sponsorship from Castles. Um, for uh, two awards, uh, the best submission award and the best presentation award, and then additionally we had um, we had uh, an award, a non-monetary award, going to uh, the best submission from a U of T law student. So that would kind of be your second place submission from uh, from, but from a student at U of T law. Uh, so yeah, looking uh, going forward, I mean, we have uh, recruited our inaugural president for the conference in a year ahead now, and I'm really looking forward to helping it out any any way I can. I mean, I'm hoping to fund the conference financially down the road as well. Um, because it's definitely something that I wanted to stick with the U of T law um, because it's really just such a powerful experience. I mean, being at all the workshops in my in my undergrad and my master's, even in law school, uh, I really saw that, you know, getting students involved in this research can give an amazing experience. Uh, 
getting them to talk to faculty members at the law school who ask them questions or other audience members, uh, people who have publication experience. Um, I feel like it's just a great opportunity for them to network and develop uh, develop the arguments even further. So altogether, it was really the single best event uh, that I've, uh, the best experience that I've had at the law school. Uh, it was the most intensive experience because uh, as you mentioned, you know, it was uh, balancing that along with things like school and research. It was not easy at all. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, there was, uh, there was no lying about that. It was, uh, it was definitely uh, a process. I really had to figure out how to manage my time, uh, how to balance that between, uh, you know, between, between organizing the conference, getting involved in research and, you know, focusing on my classes and making sure that, uh, you know, I'm at least passing, right? So ironically, that was still the best year that I've had in law school. So I don't, I don't, I'm really, really surprised how it all went down. But um, I think it was really credits to my my amazing co-organizer, Emily, and uh, our editor-in-chief, Charles. Uh, they really, and the entire editorial team, they really kept this thing going. And, uh, you know, there were days when I wasn't able to work, I was super burnt out, and then Emily was able to take over, and then vice versa. We were an amazing team. So, uh, you know, you really need the teamwork to, to, to make this happen. But um, uh, it was definitely a very rewarding rewarding project to be part of. That's excellent. Now, Nick, we're we're kind of running towards the um, the end of this interview. I I, I want to move the conversation now to uh, your time articling. But first off, I mean, most of our guests, um, are, you know, are are working in the private sector, and uh, you know, I think very well. It's one of those things where you know, whenever we're looking for um, people to come onto the show, I think a lot of people who are self employed and who are uh, working in the private sector have a little bit more more leeway. So that might be one of those reasons. But you're working in the public sector. So before we talk more about articling, what what's that been like to be working in the public sector? Um, so I just wanna I just wanna preface that by saying you know. Uh, I all any views I'm about to say are are indeed my own, and uh, they don't they don't uh, they're not shared by, uh, not necessarily shared. They're not espoused by uh, the Public Prosecution Service of Canada or the Federal Crown or the Crown more generally or the public interest. Uh, so I just want to put that out there first. The aspect of serving the public, um, it's been really really rewarding to be able to work with. You know, one of the reasons why I was really interested in Crown work was. The ability of balancing, you know, the, the role of the crown, uh, I mean, I'm sure you both will learn this in criminal law later on. Uh, there's there's a really important case uh, called Boucher uh, and the Queen, uh, in which Justice Rand, as he then was, said, uh, the goal of the crown uh, is not about winning or losing. It's not about obtaining a conviction. It's about making sure that things are as fair as possible, um, that balance the rights of the public and everybody involved. So I feel like it's one of the areas where you can really balance the interests of the, the you know, the accused uh, the public interest, uh, and uh, and it's it's something that really sort of changes your approach. You you learn how to become a fairer person in the whole process. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, it's that's one of the biggest takeaways uh, of that for me, like being able to serve the public and balance a number of interests. Um, yeah. And so to go a bit more into that, into your articling experience. Uh, what's that been like for you, um, if you would compare it also in terms of how busy you are and compare that to law school? Of course, we know that you had very strong time management skills and you had kind of a set way of going through law school. But still, it would be probably interesting for some of our listeners to kind of know that difference between practice and then when you're actually studying. No, absolutely. And I think I think one of the biggest uh, biggest transitions has been, uh, you know, 
knowing the difference between theory and practice, because there's a lot of research that you know I've done in sentencing or juries, for example, and uh, I will always have a, have conversations with uh, with counsel, senior counsel, um, who always tell me, oh, that's good research, but it doesn't work like this in practice. This is how it works in practice. And I think you really get that insight. I mean, even before articling, just by going to court as often as you can, just going to observe. It's all open to the public, so uh, you can you can always observe court, uh, and you really see kind of how the Things that you would learn in criminal law in law school, um, they might be the same. They might they might differ, uh, but really knowing kind of how the theory is different from practice, I think that's been one of the biggest learning points uh, for me. And I learned that every single day. Uh, even today, I attended drug court for the first time, drug treatment court, uh, where uh, you have individuals who've, uh, you know, I attended a graduation at drug treatment court, which is uh, where you have individuals who've been sober for a number of years uh, who are now uh, making amazing jobs and uh, reconnecting with families. And you really see how the law applies in action and not just how it applies in theory. Uh, and, you know, you really see the human dimensions of it. Uh, in terms of the, the overall workload, I mean, it's litigation. So it, it really ebbs and flows based on kind of how things are going, how the courts are. Uh, usually September to, uh, I guess, mid-December is quite busy. Uh, and then the summer is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more laid back, uh, especially on the jury trial side of things. Uh, judge alone trials still do exist in the summer, uh, and so I guess with the busyness, it's it really depends on the day. I mean, I've pulled some days where I pulled longer hours than I would have liked. Uh, I've had some days where I was looking for more work, uh, and it really just kind of depends on the day. Uh, but the biggest aspect of change, I guess, for um, for working full time, because this is actually my first time ever being outside of school. Uh, I went through school straight. I just did grad school in the middle as kind of a gap year, if if you will. But it wasn't, you know, that was still school. Uh, this is my first time ever being full time out of out of school. Day after Labor Day was an absolutely wild experience, realizing that I'm not in school uh, for the first time. But related to that, you know, is this idea of longevity. Uh, you want really want to look after your longevity. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, it's very easy to have, you know, time brackets when you're in school. For example, you know when your reading week is, you know when your 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 winter holiday break is, you know when your summer break is. Uh, and so you're able to actually like have it in short bursts of energy when you're when you're working or you're studying um, because you know that, OK, at this point, I'm going to have time off and it's a hard set thing. I will be having time off during reading week or I'll be having time off during the winter holidays. Now, when you're working full time. Uh, you have to really organize those days yourself. You need to know when you need to take a holiday. You need to know when you want to take a holiday. Uh, you need to know when you have to balance uh, taking a vacation with the demands at work and how busy the courts are. So I feel like knowing yourself in a way that you know you can organize those things for yourself um, and listening to your body, listening to your mind, uh, you know, such that you, you you know how to take care of yourself. I think that's kind of one of the biggest one of the biggest transitions because ultimately, if you are working and you've decided on continuing to work, you'll be working until you retire. So that's a long time. Uh, you need to kind of figure out like how to how to negotiate that boundary. Uh, and that doesn't not that does not mean saying no to work. I mean, when you're starting out, you do have to be involved in as much as you can. So you can learn yourself and get the maximum learning experience that you can. Uh, but just in general, knowing, how to section off your work, your time off. Uh, when you get home, do you want to just be relaxing on your bed and watching Netflix, which is completely fine as well? Or do you want to be getting outside, getting some fresh air? Or do you want to be hanging out with friends? And you can't do too much of anything. Um, 
you know, obviously having social nights every single day is is tough. Uh, I mean, first week of orientation, guys, you know, you know how that's been. Um, but altogether, I feel like this, like the, figuring out that sort of that sort of balancing in terms of how you want to how do you how do you want to approach your life, both at work and also outside of work? And also, what does success mean to you both at work and outside of work uh, in terms of things like family or in things like in terms of things like finances? Uh, or in terms of your friends or your relationships, like all that stuff really comes to hit you when you when you start working because you do have a life outside of work as well. So I think getting used to that that sort of navigation has kind of been one of the biggest transitions, and it's something that I'm looking forward to uh, continuing to explore in the in the months ahead. You know, we actually interviewed um, Paula Price, who is a um coach for lawyers um and actually that episode will come out uh before your interview um nick so you know listeners obviously if you haven't heard that one check that one out but you know she she works with people she works with lawyers who are transitioning between careers um she has a podcast of her own about what it means to have a joyful practice um particularly for uh women lawyers but I think what you're saying oh, Nick, wow. about longevity is super important, right? Because, uh, you know, I would go so far as to say, even when you're in law school, at least something that I think a lot about, um, and again, you know, me and Sarah are mature students, but something that, that I always think about too is um, treating law school like a nine to five and going, you know what, actually my ability to continue learning how to swim, I would argue is about as important as law school or my ability to celebrate my birth, uh, my sister's birthday. I also think that's about as important as law school, right? Um, you know, things like uh, personal care and being with family and friends and working on your own hobbies, um, I would consider to be as important as your prof- professional success. And, and, I, and I would go so far as to say that, you know, it's, um, it's perhaps what keeps your professional success going, right? Is, is to be able to um, understand that life continues outside of the work um, so I really appreciate oh, uh, what you said absolutely. about longevity I think that's a it's important thing for our listeners to bear in mind uh, you know regardless of what position they are in the legal profession right <laughs> no 100% um, and, and and you know um, I, sh- I, I do wonder if we should ask our last question if we should dial yes. this to the end but I mean Nick do you have any advice for um, folks just, uh, you know, applying to law, you know, law school interest, law school hopefuls, any advice to people just starting one Al, AKA V and Sarah, um, <laughs> any, any advice for, for no. people right at the beginning of the career? No, absolutely. So I guess, I guess starting, uh, I'll, I'll divide it into two, uh, two parts. I mean, first of all, applications, um, it's difficult for me to give LSAT related advice because I have a history. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, when it comes down to uh, when it comes down to applying uh, in terms of your personal statement, I will say being authentic is the most important thing. Um, some people have a more personal story of why they wanted to go into law school. Uh, I had a more academic story of why I wanted to go into law school. I just was always interested in it. I don't really know why. I've just always liked it. Uh, and I feel like in my first personal statement, you know, pre-transfer, uh, it was, I think I tried to make myself into something I wasn't when I was trying to inject a personal connection into why I wanted to go into law as a field, when really my connection was very, very academic. And it's a, a thing I'm deeply passionate about. So in my second, uh, in my second, uh, tra- my transfer application, I was, I felt like I was a lot more authentic in the process. I was talking about, first of all, what I like about UFT, 
but also the the kind of legal issues that I'm interested in, the kind of things, I, the kinds of things that I want to continue developing in my research, um, and why law school is a boat that will take me there. Uh, so I I feel that my advice is really just being as authentic as possible. Um, if your thing is about illegal commentary and, you know, how you believe being at this law school will help you advance a legal issue, uh, and only this law school can do that, then go for it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a personal story. I mean, it does help sometimes, but it doesn't necessarily need to be one. Your best story is the one that's most most authentically representing you. Um, in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of for anyone who's starting law school, um, like I said, focus on the twenty year you. Focus on being a good lawyer. Uh, don't just focus on being a good law student. Um, it gets really tempting to immerse yourself a lot with grades, um, but and and obviously it is important, but. Take shortcuts if you can. Uh, find efficient ways of getting to the same answer. And I always say this, it doesn't matter how many pages you read. It doesn't matter how much you study. All that matters is that your product is the correct one. So it's, you know, if you can find the answer by looking at one page instead of 50, guess what? You found the right answer and you'll get the grade for it. Uh, and obviously some days you need to do a bit more digging through the sources, uh, some more digging through your readings. Uh, but really, as you get through law school, start to figure out what kind of process is more efficient for you. Is uh, Do you learn better in lecture? Do you learn better in readings? Uh, what do you retain more? Uh, and, you know, figuring out ways of being as efficient as possible, because you do need to have that time uh, for both taking care of yourself, but also getting involved in uh, professional development opportunities, uh, research if you're interested in, extracurriculars, um, coffee chats, networking. I feel like all that stuff will really not only take you through your first year of law school or three years of law school, it will take you through for the rest of your career. So I would say focus on that career uh, and never forget that career. Your resume should be longer than your transcript. I love that. I think that's a great way for us to end. Thank you so much, Nick. No, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Thank you so much, Nick, for your wonderful insight on the law school application process, juggling research with professional development and your studies, as well as what it's like to enter uh, the workforce and, and balancing uh, work with your social life, your personal life, and thinking about what longevity means um, as a lawyer. I think that's a really important uh, message for folks at any point of their profession to be really seriously considering. If you are interested in learning nope. a little bit more about Nick, how, how, should we, um, how should we find you? How should we get your information? No, absolutely. Yeah. So you can uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at dose of Nick. That is D-O-S-E-O-F-N-I-K. Uh, or you can connect to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Nick Kakar. Uh, it's N-I-K-K-H-A-K-H-A-R. So, yes, it's K-H-A twice. Um, so, yeah, you can you can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to have a conversation. Um and it really goes both ways. I made uh, I made reaching out to people a priority when I was in law school, and I'd be absolutely more than happy to offer any words I can um, for you as well. Got to pay it forward. And uh, listeners, we will be including um, Nick's information in our episode description as well. Uh, so next week, it's going to be just the two of us, just me and Sarah again. And it's actually going to be our first update episode. So it's going to be a very casual chat about our experiences one month into 1L. So if you are interested in uh, seeing how we're doing, please do check in and we'll, we'll be sure to include more guest interviews as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, 
share with your friends, and of course, check out our Instagram at Beyond the Briefcase Podcast to keep in touch as well as up to date uh, with our guest interviews, with questions, with you know release details. That's where you can check that out. Thank you to Adam, our technical producer, and of course, thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye. <laughs>